when I was leaving and going through the immigration at Zurich airport and he looks at my green card type of thing or whatever that I had. He looks, and he goes, wow, you were here for a long time. And I said, yeah. And he goes, was it a great experience for you? And I said, life-changing. Welcome. I'm Susan Kish, host of the We Are ETH series. And thank you for joining us. Today, I am really looking forward to a conversation with Jennifer Jihol. She is a social research and strategy consultant focusing on the social impact space and is joining us from Corktown in downtown Detroit. Jennifer, welcome. Oh, Susan, wonderful to be here and join everybody. We're so happy to have you. So, Jennifer, I would love to start with asking, what are you doing in Detroit? It's an exciting city. It's changing a lot. So it is. what's what's on your plate right now? So we moved uh, from D.C. last year in November. Um, it was election day, actually. Wow. Um, we, we, moved, uh, we moved here and to Detroit. And this is where my family's originally from. Um, and I haven't lived here in 25 years. In fact, when I left, I really didn't know if I'd be able to come back. But Detroit is like the sort of city, it's kind of like the, I don't know, maybe people say this about all their native land, Susan, but <laughs> it's sort of a city though that kind of calls you back. It draws you back. It's always in the in your mind. And what we really came here, my husband and I and our two black cats from actually who were born in Switzerland when we lived there, um, we came here to be part of this uniquely singular moment in the in the city's history to reimagine it right to be part of the rebuilding redesigning and and truly that is what is happening here and there's no you know as as somebody who's grown and lived in so many different cities the cities are just kind of sort of built for you but detroit has um so much space and it's a really unique opportunity to be part of community and to be part of as somebody who's studied resilience social resilience urban resilience there's really an opportunity to be here and be part of the decisions that are being made in your neighborhood around how is it going to be designed? And I think that's a really unique, and also living in cities where there's been a lot of inequity, where we, even my husband and I, have had challenges finding a home that we could afford, that we could even afford as a renter. Um, and a lot of these cities grapple with that because these decisions tend to just be made on a real estate level rather than on a level of how does the government want to truly create an equitable city? Right. And I think Detroit has this unique opportunity because there's so much land because so many homes were demolished literally by neglect. There's so much land that the city owns and that city can work with to do differently and also to create a lot more parks and spaces and just to work with space in a lot of different ways that a city like New York or even Zurich, which are beautiful cities, but they're built, you know, and and they can't really, they're having to adjust and redesign their infrastructure to adapt to things like climate change. Whereas Detroit, it literally has to build new. And so it has this unique singular opportunity and we wanted to be a part of that. It's wonderful in many ways to see it come back, but it is the embodiment of grit, of resilience. Yeah. And creativity. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, it it is grit. I mean, you know, literally you see all these murals and, and, um, you know, there is this sort of feeling of, you know, we rise from the ashes, which has historical connotations because the city did experience a great fire Mm -hmm. in the 1800s. And so there's this aspect of it is a city that rises. Um, But I think the other thing about Detroit is it's incredibly creative. And it's just like the art and the music, like, I think the part of it too is, when you're dealing with so much space, Susan, and like you, you have people here who are makers, world builders, and then everybody, if you come here, you literally, I think, have a 
responsibility to do. And if you're someone who come here and expects everything to be done for you, then it's probably not the place for you. <laughs> we need people here who are literally going to embrace what it, yeah, literally embrace what, how are they going to make their community better? Right. And how are they going to make the community maybe next to them better? And you, you end up seeing these wonderful creative displays of makership every day. And that's what's going to make it great again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it has the opportunity to make a difference in the, this next century, which is really fascinating. But help me, help me connect the dots. You lived in Zurich for seven years at the ETH Center for Security Studies. And if I read correctly, you were part of the Center Around Risk and Resilience. Correct. So can you help connect the dots between that work that you did on resilience and Nigerian terrorism and energy yeah. infrastructure and ICT and disasters. I mean, you did a yeah. lot of really interesting work. How does that inform and connect with the work that you're doing now? You know, as somebody is, um, and I think this is, you know, just going to ETH for a second. As a social researcher, we don't really talk about ETH, right? Mm -hmm. When I was living in California and doing going to graduate school, I hung out with a lot of mathematicians and people in the physics department, and we'd go hiking together. And I told them, I said, "Hey, I got a you know a senior researcher or researcher job at, at ETH," and they all looked at me. They're like, "What? What? That's amazing!" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, is it? Okay, no." And I was like, "Yeah, the the university is like amazing." But they knew, right. they knew, like you just landed on the most amazing opportunity. You have no idea. And truly they were right. Because when I came and I worked for the center with, uh, it's headed by Andy Venga. He's wonderful. And I was really focused on at that time, really that relationship between people and their environment. Right. And specifically, how does your environment, how does the place in which, where you live impact your life. Mm -hmm. And how does that express? How does that maybe express through violence, right? You know, somebody actually being propelled, motivated, agitated to carry out acts of violence because of their um, conditions. And so this relationship, you know, just kind of connect. I looked at when I was there for seven years, I worked on a wonderful team. And for me, one of the areas I looked at was like the targeting behaviors of violent groups. Mm -hmm. You know, how did they leverage their terrain? How did their environment both agitate them because of inequities? Um, because of abuses? And then how did they leverage that to actually destabilize uh, another actor, a business, uh, a sector? Uh, so I'm really, I've always been very interested in that sort of dynamic. And I've also always been interested in the role of non-state actors, like myself, like a civilian who have tremendous power. Mm -hmm. And and so it's this whole world, uh, Susan, of, I, I'd say ETH really gave me, they gave me a canvas and they gave me the best paints in the world. And they say, paint what you want. <laughs> and as a creative in terms of thinking, writing, mm -hmm. seeing, interpreting, analyzing, it gave me this license to dance across a couple different domains that were all about our environment and our interplay with our environment. And how do we manage risk in that space? How do we adapt and recover in that space? How do we um, disrupt that space? And so for me, the link as I come here now to Detroit, where it's all about me and space, right? How am I going to be part of shaping this space? And so I can see how that now starts to mobilize me. And it's now my job to channel that energy in a more productive way. But I've worked a lot for many years in environments where people dealt with something very similar in the Niger Delta in Nigeria, 
they they dealt with that aspect of seeing their lands be abused by oil and gas activities. They dealt with seeing their 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 um, livelihoods deteriorate because of oil and gas activities. They saw the lack of benefiting from those oil and gas activities, and many of them mobilized to agitate against those oil and gas companies and the government. So I can see how you're, that's that's the link really for me. And now I'm so excited because I have this theoretical, I have the theoretical background and the principles in me from my work at ETH to actually apply that while I work here and live here. Does that make sense? Did I connect the dots? I th- <laughs> <laughs> it's a lifelong challenge, but it sounds like what, what ETH gave you was was a framework and a discipline yeah, and other sort of case studies of applications, completely different yes. environments, but there were common elements. What you described, this concept of there should be something and there isn't, also yes. sounds like what happens in places that have been struck by disaster or by war and where you look at it, you go, that just, it's, there's a jarring sense. Yes. And a desire to fill in the gap. Yeah. To reconnect those dots. And it sounds like in Detroit, you have a chance to do it possibly in a, in a better way. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm not doing anything. We, we're just being citizens here. So we spent the last year, I mean, I'm working as an international consultant right now. I have a couple of great clients. My work is still outside of Detroit. And what I'm learning about here is how to be a citizen of Detroit. So we spent the last year participating in city council meetings, organizing, being involved in our neighborhood association. So, you know, I'm just being an active citizen and utilizing my background, all that stuff that I know about what can, you know, help make a great city mm-hmm. and be try to be part of that and bring that to the table. But for right now, I just got to learn to be, what is it like to be just a citizen? I understand. Um, in, a, in, an, in a way that I've never been before in any other city I've lived. So how did you get from Lake Orion, which you have to understand is sort of a little bit in the middle of nowhere. It's sort of north of Detroit and on the way, 45 minutes. On yes. the way to Flint, right? Yes, um, it is. Yeah. But can you just tell us how that journey went from <laughs> there to, if I understand you went to undergrad it, it, in Boulder, Colorado, but there's some steps along the way that got you to Basel and got you to Zurich. Well, so... For listeners, right, Lake Orion is a directly north, 45 minutes of Detroit. So we got um, Lake Orion is like 5,000, maybe it's more now, it's growing. Um, but it's it's a lake community. And it's actually, there used to be a train that went from Detroit to Lake Orion. Hmm. And that's where everybody went to go holiday. Um, you know, back in the, the origins of Lake Orion was, yeah, it was all these little cottages around the lake. And people, you know, the people that lived in the city would take their trains up and it was their summer homes. So I grew up in this small community. You know, my grandfather, I loved his National Geographic. He had a National Geographic subscription. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I just remember I spent a lot of time with my grandparents when I was young. And I just remembered looking through those pictures and being like, I want to do that. And what was that? I want to be in the world. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do. I want to I wanted to be out there. I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I wasn't one of those kids who was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I knew I wanted to be in the world with people. That's what I knew. Right. And so my whole, like being in Lake Orion, I knew that I'd eventually leave because that world, it's a beautiful community, lovely. The slogan there is where living is vacation because <laughs> everyone's kind of like, you know, it's this beautiful lake. Everyone hangs out. It's great. But I just knew that I would be somebody that when the opportunity strikes us um, came to me and the first opportunity was college. And, um, and I remember, Susan, I was playing um, soccer um, at that time, uh, which is uh, football for our, our European listening audience. You know, you know, the Americans, we, we always got to... <laughs> 
have our own framework. Yep. We got our own frameworks. We we're a little silly. Um, <laughs> but I was playing soccer and um, I was looking at different schools where I'd play soccer, but I really didn't want to play in college. Mm-hmm. And I could, didn't know how to tell my parents that. And so I heard somebody on a soccer team say, I'm going to go to University of Colorado Boulder. And this was in 1996. And, um, and I was like, okay, that sounds far away. <laughs> Let me, let me apply there. And I didn't tell anybody. And I said to myself, I'm going to apply. And if I get in, I'm going. Nobody knew. I literally went on the website. This was like when the websites first started coming out. Mm-hmm. And I saw like the mountains there. And I was like, that looks perfect. I'll go there. And fortunately, <laughs> it worked out because, I mean, honestly, it was that silly. So I, I applied. I got in. And my mom was like, you applied to Colorado. Why are you going, you know, and, and it was exciting, but that was it. And I also, in terms of my major, cause then they said, you have to have a major, a major, like literally no one talked to me about this stuff. So I remember going into the library when we still had those and opening up a book on college majors and it, you know, it was A to Z college majors, A to Z. So I was like, okay, I'll start at A. And fortunately, anthropology is, you is know, in starts, the A's. like starts yep. letter A. <laughs> so like, so yeah, it starts in the A. And uh, I finally get to it. I'm like, you know, study of cultures and people and beliefs. I'm like that. I want to do that. And so literally, it was that sort of stumbling. You know, some people are like laser sharp. I stumble. I sort of. Well, I feel like there's it's this like serendipity. Serendipity. Yes, it's a more precise way. It's a serendipitous. It's an openness. Like I hear the call. And then I'm like, okay, I look for the signals and, and just in a way it feels like I sort of fall into, but there's a pull. And then I just try to be open to whatever's going to meet me on the other side. You know, it, it, there's that wonderful quote by Rumi that says, whatever you're seeking is seeking you. And I, I think a lot of what has, you know, transpired, what got me out of Lake Orient onto Colorado, then New York, et cetera. But then how did you end up in Zurich, which in many ways is the <laughs> antithesis of either yeah. You know, um, Lake, Lake Orient, where you yeah. grew up, or or Detroit, where living is vacation. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Lake Orient. Yes, vacation homeland. Um, so again, it's this whole sort of the serendipity, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm studying um, anthropology in Colorado, and I have struggled the first few years because you know it's a big university, just trying to adapt and figure out. I had this really amazing opportunity to go and spend a summer in Senegal called Operation Crossroads Africa. And Operations Mm -hmm. Crossroads Africa was created just before the Peace Corps was created in the U.S. as sort of a pre-Peace Corps. It was kind of like a testing Mm -hmm. ground. Um, So it was this way for the government to sort of experiment. I don't even know if it was like the government in terms of its historical origins, but but it was a way to experiment with, all right, if we send some American kids um, you know, so sort of like the sort of cultural exposure out to, you know, different African countries to volunteer for a summer, what would that be like? So I had the chance in my sophomore to junior year to do that. And that really, I was in Senegal in a village called Kourma Marsar, which is about an hour and a half south of the Mauritania border. So it's West Africa. That was such, again, these like little moments, right? Because I was placed in a community in which there was an anthropologist Um, actually doing her work, her doctoral dissertation work. And so I had this chance to actually see what it was like. I mean, it was was like, you know, you have your anthropology professors who are sharing their work with you, but I actually was in a village where Mm -hmm. an anthropologist was actually doing their work. So I could actually see, is this something that I would like to do? 
It was from that experience that inspired me to have, after I graduated, go back to West Africa, spent some time in Ghana. I lived there for about six months. Mm-hmm. And then I you know, came out of that experience and I had a boyfriend at that time who was like, um, well, I'm going to New York City. And that was in August of 2001. And so what happened in September 2001? 9-11. So we moved there, 9-11. Um, and I experienced, I actually sat and watched. We lived in a part of Brooklyn right along the river I'll never forget um, the, the the first plane had hit, and I, I was watching the smoke come out. It was terrifying, and then it was moments later that I think the first tower crumbled. I uh, just, I mean, <sighs> sorry, I just, um, it was it was really wild. But I, I share that with you, Susan, because it was that experience um, that got me interested in in you know terrorism and crisis, and is that aspect of how people. How do they how do they recover from that? Yeah. And also what had motivated those people, those individuals that flew that plane into those buildings? Right. There were so many aspects of that day. Again, it was like one of those singular moments for me. Yeah. That was like, I need to understand this. And so I made uh, a point to go back to school, do my master's. And it was really that trajectory when I went and did my master's in California and I got um, I really chose that school because they had a very strong international security program. Hmm. I mean, it was post 9-11, you know, in the early aughts of of um, America. So there was a lot of funding going into terrorism research. And so I was involved in building like the first global terrorism database that's still around today. It's the largest database um, on terrorism in the world mm-hmm. that then led me to Zurich. I wanted to keep advancing my studies in 2003, four, five, six, that period really the funding was all about Al-Qaeda and Islamist terrorism. That's all you, like, literally, like, there was no other option. (laughs) I remember that. I was looking for opportunities to, for someone to get me a license to look at other things that I didn't have to look at just one group. And honestly, when I got the job at ETH at the Center for Security Studies, I knew that that was going to be my opportunity that I could have a greater creative license to look at other sorts of violent phenomena. And it didn't just have to be one type of group or one specific group within a type of groups. So Jennifer, as we think about the path that you've followed and the dots that you're talking about connecting, what is the role that ETH still plays in your life now that you're in Detroit? Oh, that's an awesome question. So I pride myself. I'm a collaborator. I love to connect. I love to connect with people. I love to collaborate. And being at a a place like ETH, you have so many different departments, so many different Mm -hmm. interests, but also people from all over the world. And there's this convergence there of creative, ambitious minds. Mm -hmm. And what that really tapped into me was that it it branched me out into other disciplines. Mm -hmm. ETH, for me, really allowed me to establish that sort of bold partnership and not staying in my lane. And I saw that in practice there quite a bit. And I think that's why you have such great innovative ideas that come out of there because you just, you know, you have a lot of synergies happening across um, both types of people, but also, uh, you know, types of thinking and different domains. And when you have that, those things come together, you, you have magic, you have magic. And so what ETH really allowed and established for me was that boldness, like, I can go up to somebody with a more technical background, you know, and talk to them and say, hey, maybe we can think about doing something. It gave me that sort of place to practice that. It gave you courage. It gave me courage. Yeah. That still plays out in my life today. So you were there from 2009-ish to 2017, 14, 15, 16-ish. Yeah. Um, when you look back on your days in Zurich, 
What did you like about Zurich? What was different about Zurich? You know, there's there's a couple countries so far in my life so far that have had a really big impact on me. Mm-hmm. And I really never knew that Switzerland would be one of those places. <laughs> and honestly, it, it, it is. When you say when you go back to that time living in Zurich, there's a part of it that feels like home. Mm-hmm. And I think because of just as I said, home, my little kitty came to my lap for our <laughs> listeners. He's here. He's joined us. He, we acquired him in Zurich. Um, so when you say that, you know, I think about building our family there. I think about, I got involved with a hiking group and that was such hmm. a great thing because every Saturday we would go out, it was Thomas Widmer and he worked at one of the papers and I got wonderfully, luckily brought into his beautiful group and he would plan these hikes every Saturday and I would go out with them. And that exposed me to all the wonderful communities. One, that exposed me to the, the vastness of the public infrastructure, the public transportation infrastructure in Switzerland. You get anywhere on public anywhere, infrastructure. Anywhere. Anywhere. Mobility, right? Like mobility changes your life. Yeah. And the other thing is, is like I saw how nurtured the land is. I always joked with my friends that I think at night when everyone's sleeping in Switzerland, there's a huge vacuum cleaner that covers the country and it, it cleans <laughs> and it, it, it grooms all the lands. And then when everyone wakes up, everything's it like picks pristine. Up, picks yes. up all the individual leaves. Yes. <laughs> but I, you know, what, what I think about when I think about Switzerland and Zurich is I think about it's, you know, this aspect of caring for each other and you, mm-hmm. that is expressed through, we've invested in our infrastructure, we're investing in taking care of our land. It's that sort of like caring together. And I remember when I was leaving and going through the immigration at Zurich airport and he looks at my green card type of thing or whatever that I had, he looks, and he goes, wow, you were here for a long time. And I said, yeah. And he goes, was it a great experience for you? And I said, life-changing. And then I walked through. And it's a place that's still very much a part of my life. And I embrace that. And I want to do everything in my power, like being on this podcast or being with the ETH circle to support that and to elevate that. I love it. I feel very grateful. I feel very, very grateful. Jennifer, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, That was a great conversation. Um, And those images of a little girl reading her grandfather's National Geographic, and then coming to live that life as you've described, that's great. So thank you. Thanks again for your time. I'm Susan Kish, host of the We Are ETH series. Please join us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd like to thank and to credit our producers at the ETH Circle and Ellie Media. Take care and stay safe.